Welcome to Industry Focus, a podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, May 31st, and we're talking Uber's earnings results and some antitrust issues at Apple. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined on Skype by Fool.com's Evan New. Evan, what's going on? Not much. The kids are out of school, so it's their their summer is beginning, so it's going to be a pretty busy couple of months. Yeah, I'm guessing your home office went from being nice and quiet during the workday to maybe a little louder. Yeah, it's going to be uh, a lot to keep up with and try to get my work done. <laughs> What's the plan for that? Do you like send them off to camp, or are you like, hey guys, like go watch TV? It depends. I mean, this summer we're going to do some camps, and then we also send them to Texas for uh, like a week usually to hang out with my parents so we get some you know no kid time. <laughs> nice. Well, I have no kid time all the time as does our producer Austin Morgan. That may change in the future. <laughs> but for now, no kid time and I plan on enjoying that myself. Um, Evan, we we have our first look at Uber reporting as a publicly traded, not soon to be public company, uh, because they dropped earnings on Thursday, and of course this is one of the big stories of the week because there was so much buildup for this IPO, and and the stock has kind of just hung out there after the company went public. Yeah, the stock's been trading flat, and you know it was up a little bit on the earnings results, but then it's coming back down today, just as the broader market's been kind of worrying about all this trade stuff with Trump. But um, you know, it's not like it jumped a whole lot; like there wasn't a whole lot to be excited about, in my opinion. <laughs> I, I'm inclined to agree with you, Evan. A couple of highlights here from the from the results: gross bookings, which is the activity that Uber facilitates, up 34% year over year to 14.6 billion; revenue up 20% year over year to 3.1 billion. But you look at things on a net revenue basis, which strips out some of the driver incentives, and the business was up 14% year over year. Of course, still losing money. Uh, as a matter of fact, losing twice as much as they lost a year ago, uh, with operating losses at about a billion dollars. Is this more or less what you expected from this company this quarter, Evan? Yeah, I mean, we all knew they were just going to keep burning money, and I think that you know, and it's interesting because this time, you know, on the net loss was also around a billion, and like we had talked about before, you know. They have a lot of activity in terms of like these investments and divesting and things like that. They're like one-off items that can you know post these gains or losses, which is how they're profitable last year, like we talked about before. So you know, in this quarter, there wasn't any of that. So you know, operating loss and net loss are pretty comparable in that case. And I, I always look at the operating loss because that's really what the core of their operations and you know shows how much money they're losing. Yeah, you never want to be fooled by divestitures or any sales activity. You want to know exactly how the core business is doing. Uh, one of the pull quotes for me looking at management's commentary was from CFO Nelson Chai. And he said, We maintained stable regional ride sharing category position in the quarter and started to see signs of less aggressive pricing by some ride sharing competitors, which has continued into Q2 2019. It sounds like they're saying Lyft might not be as aggressively pricing in some markets. Do you buy that, Evan? I think that that is a lot of what's happening because you know uh, they also mentioned they've seen a lot of other signs of you know the competition being more focused on like you know trying to compete on the brand and the product versus the incentives. And you know Dara Kashrashawi uh, also mentioned yeah if, hey if you listen to the Lyft conference call they mentioned that they're trying to compete on other areas other than price. And I think that he's referring to a quote. You know, I went back and looked, and for example, Lyft CFO Brian Roberts was saying how the industry is heading in the right direction and becoming quote increasingly rational, uh, and saying that their strategy is to win on experience, not price. So I think that a lot of what's happening is they're they're really finally coming to terms with the fact that they've been pricing too low for so long, uh, and they need to be bringing those prices up 
in order to become more sustainable, improve their cost structure. But at the same time, one of the challenges around that is also if you're both these two giant companies that are really dominate the space, both start to move pricing higher. You want to also make sure to avoid any allegations of price fixing or collusion, which is illegal. And you know, the CEO is like, yeah, obviously we're operating independently, so he's kind of acknowledging that up front. Um, because as long as they're not actively coordinating and colluding to increase pricing and are really just responding to market conditions and trying to improve their own cost structures, uh, then they should be okay. And I think that is what they need to do, and they're starting to show that. Yeah, you need to be particularly sensitive of that if you're in a duopoly-style market like we have with Lyft and Uber. One thing I was looking at, uh, some of the line items from the results, and just trying to like gut-check that a little bit, was looking at their cost of revenue and the sales and marketing expenses. And those two figures give you a little bit of a sense of the cost of acquisition and the subsidy that they're giving both to uh, drivers and to uh, riders to bring those costs down and the incentives that they're paying to drivers. And in Q1 2018, those two categories combined for 70% of revenue. Now, a year later, they're 88% of the $3.1 billion the company booked in revenue. That seems kind of crazy to me. Right. I mean, they they really need to be pulling back these incentives, and I mean, it's just they're they're just giving away too much money and not charging customers enough. So yeah, it all kind of plays into the same idea, I think. Yeah, and and the unfortunate thing is, you know, you want people to be making a livable wage if they're going to be doing this. And so many of the criticisms of these companies recently have been, you know, well, when you factor everything in, when it's you know insurance, all the miles you're putting on the car, possibly having to get it clean more regularly to be a driver, the numbers don't look that great. And that's with them running a business that's struggling uh, to be profitable. You wonder what might happen if they really start squeezing drivers even more than they already have. Right. At the same time, I think there's also some really important lessons that you're seeing play out in New York City, because uh, New York City is obviously one of their their huge markets, and there's there were some you know pretty meaningful changes that took a play, took effect in terms of regulations there. During the quarter, uh, you know, basically, uh, the they're required to pay out a minimum wage of at least like seventeen dollars and change after expenses, and you know that's going to affect a lot of ride-hailing companies. And you know, they talked about the impacts directly, and you know that you know directly resulted in a pretty big price increases, which of course hurts demand for your product, and you know has really hurt their uh, bookings growth in that market. Uh, at the same time, you know, they're saying that you know that market is still really resilient and still in terms of revenue dollars is still very strong. But, you know, I think it's just a pretty good example of showing, you know, this is obviously what happens when you raise prices and that's just in one big market. Now, if you you can kind of extrapolate what happens to the rest of the business if they have to kind of keep raising these prices. Cuz like you mentioned, the drivers are not, a lot of these drivers are not making enough money uh, and they need to be paid better. Yeah. One of the things we talk about when we talk Uber and Lyft is the slight difference where, yes, they're both ride-hailing, ride-sharing businesses, but Uber has a little bit more optionality than Lyft. And one of the things I enjoy in going through their results is seeing how these different segments play out. So, they have their ride-sharing business, which was up 9% year-over-year. They also have Uber Eats, which was up 89% year-over-year to just over $500 million. And they also have an other bets revenue segment, which is kind of where freight business comes in at about 150 million. Um, on that, it would seem like Uber Eats is absolutely crushing it. But I think there needs to be a moment of pause because we have the revenue number from a business like that, and then we have the net revenue number from this business. And when you factor in the driver incentives and get down to that net revenue number for Uber Eats, the quarter came in at about 240 million, which is up about 31 percent. So slow the roll on the, on the applause for Uber Eats. Right, and I don't really like how they, in terms of the way that they account for their users on their platform, how they combine the eats 
and the ride sharing because you know yeah it's one platform where you can use it in two different ways but these are two fundamentally different businesses with different underlying economics so I, I think it would be more useful for investors if they I mean they do separate them in terms like revenue but on the user side I, th- I think some granular detail around like you know some more metrics around the users and, and the usage would be helpful because they kind of combine them right now in a way that kind of makes it harder to really parse through them uh, and, and I will also note that they did uh, user growth did slow quite a bit they only added about 2 million users on the whole platform uh, during the quarter so that's you know, that, that's definitely some you know, pretty considerable deceleration yeah, I was actually surprised to see that ride sharing was only up nine percent year over year, given what what it seems like so many tailwinds pushing this business forward. Whether it's core ride hailing or all of the auxiliary things like the scooters that they have and all these new mobility concepts that they're working on. Right, and I mean they're still burning crazy amounts of money. They're operating cash burn uh, more than double to over seven hundred million. So, yeah, I mean I just there's still so many parts about this business I'm just still not a fan of. Yeah, I mean, no matter how you slice it, uh, Uber Eats is going to become a larger part of this business, uh, which may or may not be good for the long-term economics of Uber. Um, we didn't get a lot in the way of guidance, nothing too concrete. Um, there was some discussion, I think, on margins, but really nothing in terms of a full-year look at where management thought that uh, the company was going to go. I think some of that may be due to the pricing things that they've discussed, but we've seen this before with some newly public companies not wanting to give full-year or next-quarter guidance when it comes to revenue or EBITDA or anything like that. All right, and that's definitely not a good thing if you're an investor in this company. You want to get some visibility. We prefer clarity, Evan. We prefer, we prefer <laughs> clarity. Um, all right, let's switch gears here and talk about Apple. Last week, we talked about an Apple supplier that was in some hot water with the FTC. And I think this week, we're seeing something that's kind of come to a head with Apple being under scrutiny for some anti competitive practices and finally reacting to it. All right, so they've been, you know, getting up, and you know, the scrutiny has just been really intensifying over Apple. So this week, they put up this new web page that basically defend their App Store practices, uh, and you know, that move itself is not super meaningful, but it's really just kind of plays into this broader picture of what's been happening uh, and playing out over quite some time, and is really continues to to kind of build up like the pressure is building and building and building. Um, so I think it's kind, of, it is kind of worth discussing the broader picture as how. You know how Apple's going to move forward, and you know they're pointing out that hey, we have there's plenty of third-party apps that compete with us in our app store because it all really comes down to you know them competing on the platform alongside you know third-party developers that rely on them for distribution, and you know but it's kind of a superficial argument because yeah of course there's competition but it's not the question is not is there competition or not it's really how is Apple competing. Right. I mean, there's there's a gate kept kind of idea of competition, right? Because, you know, yes, there are a lot of other people who own Android devices and are not just using iOS and are not just in that ecosystem. So, yeah, as a, as a percentage of overall market share, iOS might be relatively small. But if you're playing in iOS, you're dealing with exclusively with Apple. Right. And iOS is definitely much smaller than Android uh, in terms of users, but it actually brings in a lot more revenue, uh, in part because of the way Apple runs its store. Uh, and, and I mean, you know, there are benefits because, you know, Apple is very good in terms of, you know, things like safety, security, privacy, content curation, secure payments, things like that. Whereas on Google Play, 
it's not uncommon for you know malicious apps like malware or spyware to be found on there because Google's uh, vetting process is not as rigorous. They use a lot more automated tools, whereas Apple takes much more of a hands-on approach to app review. I think some of it also is a little bit of a reflection of where the customers are. You know, uh, you think about some more developed markets, and specifically the U.S., where there's a lot of purchasing power and a lot of activity. Uh, iOS market share is a lot higher there. You go to more developing parts of the world, you tend to see more Android devices. Right, definitely. So yeah, so basically at the you know at the heart of this issue is that the fact that Apple has always taken this thirty percent cut of digital sales, uh, and in the case of subscriptions, that goes down to fifteen percent after the first year. But thirty percent is just a huge cut, and Apple doesn't really do that much to earn it. Um, you know, I mean, and I mean that can easily make or break a small developer's business in some cases. And when you talk about larger businesses, it's just a massive amount of money. Like just for example, we had talked about Netflix killing iTunes billing a few months back, and you know there are third party estimates that Netflix brought in eight hundred fifty million dollars. On iOS in 2018, so Apple's cut is you know maybe 130 to 160, or excuse me, 130 to 260 million, depending on how old those subscriptions are. At the low end, that's almost 10% of Netflix's entire operating income for the year. So I mean, it can just be a huge thing. And there, you know, on top of the money, there's other ways in which the deck is the deck is stacked in Apple's favor. You know, for example, Apple's apps and services get deep levels of system integration with iOS. You can't change default apps for like browser or maps, among other categories, to third-party apps. They have all these guidelines around advertising and promotions that apply to third-party developers, but then Apple turns around and regularly violates its own guidelines. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas a developer, you know, they're they're risking if they violate the guidelines, they risk get their apps taken down. Yeah, and I mean these things might seem minor, but if you're a third party developer, and, and they add up when you're already trying to compete with the richest company in the world that operates a platform that you rely on for distribution. Yeah, and there are very few companies out there that are of Netflix's stature and can say, you know what, we know that our product is sticky enough that we don't need to be dealing with this through you guys. We're going to force people into doing it on our own platform or or just somewhere else. Um, you know, most people are so heavily reliant on the distribution that they get from the App Store that they just kind of take it. Right, and it's basically a monopoly of like you know, it's the only way you can really an average consumer can get apps and. Content on their phone, so you, know, you have to go through Apple, and, and like there's just it's just so much power, and you know it's arguably a monopoly. Um, and I mean, this is only going to get worse, you know, over time because Apple is continuing to launch more and more services as part of its services push. You know, I mean, they're about to get into video streaming with Apple TV Plus. They're getting into subscription gaming with Apple Arcade. I mean, entertainment and games are among the biggest and most popular app categories, and they're just you know the more more stuff they release, the more they're going to start competing with other people. I mean, like think about over the next three to five years, what else is Apple going to introduce? The number of developers they compete with is just going to keep getting bigger and bigger, and like it's just it it's not going to get any easier anytime soon. The reason for that push for Apple is the fact that they need to find growth, right? And services has been such a reliable source of growth for them, even as they've seen hardware sales plateau a little bit. Um, so as a shareholder, it's particularly concerning to hear that oh, this really high-margin golden goose that's just kind of kept chugging along as the business has struggled could come under some more scrutiny. Right, exactly. And you know, all there's been a lot happening in the past few months, and that's I think where it gets really interesting. Like for example, Spotify, which has you know always really complained about this stuff, made a formal antitrust complaint in the European Union in March. The Dutch regulators announced their opening investigation into Apple's practices like a month later. There are now a bunch of politicians that are calling for big tech companies to be broken up, uh, and uh, as it relates to Apple, saying you can't compete on your own platform and operate at the same time. 
And there's another big one this month that was, you know, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that an antitrust suit that was filed by consumers way back in 2011 could move forward. And that suit alleges that Apple has monopoly in app distribution, and Apple abuses that power, and that leads to higher prices for consumers. Uh, it's worth noting that the Supreme Court didn't rule on the underlying merit of the case itself, just basically saying it's a valid case that can move forward. So the outcome of that case could potentially have major implications, like forcing them to change their business model, um, which is one of the most profitable segments, as we mentioned. So there's a lot going on on, on this antitrust front, and you know, it, it could potentially be a big risk to Apple, but we just, it's just something that investors absolutely need to be keeping an eye on. Yeah, it's one of those things where, unfortunately, we have more questions than answers when it comes to this topic, because it's squishy, it's gray, and you're never really sure how regulators might act. It's clear, though, we are in a period where big tech is under a little bit more scrutiny, kind of under the microscope, and might have to answer for some business practices they've enjoyed for quite some time. Right, and I mean, I don't know what the resolution of this all looks like because, I mean, like Apple's kind of stuck in this hard place because how can they really? You know, revamping the model is a huge undertaking. They like it as it is, but it obviously has a lot of really fundamental anti-competitive concerns. So I mean, it's it's a really tricky situation for them to be stuck in, and I'm looking forward to see how they figure it out. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll report on it as they do. Evan, thanks for hopping on today's show. Thanks for having me, listeners. That does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you want to reach out and say, hey, you can shoot us an email over at industryfocus at pool.com or you can tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you want more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes or you can catch videos from the podcast over on YouTube. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass. For Evan New, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and fool on.